Byer here, welcoming you to Season 3. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And let's get growing! Want to donate directly to the show? You can buy me a cup of coffee where your donation goes directly to support the Green Organic Garden Podcast. It helps for thing, pay for things like hosting the MP3 files, maintaining the website. It's super easy. I'll put the link in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. Have you heard my most recent interview with J.M. Fortier? Did you know that he started an awesome new venture called Growers and Company, where they have a magazine that's printed that comes out twice a year that highlights the amazing farmers that he's taught personally. So you're going to learn from people who are practice, putting his practices into place on their farms. If you want to be a better farmer, you definitely want to subscribe to this magazine. That's going to be like a coffee table item on your shelf. And then the other thing, part of Growers and Company is there, he's created tools that he uses on his farm that he's like studied. You know, he got to travel all around the world when he wrote his book, The Market Gardener. If you don't have that, you absolutely have to get a copy of it. But he's he's he got to go travel to all these farms, and then he would look at tools that they had in the hardware stores or using in these other farms, brought them back to his farm, you know, talked to a developer, came out with some really cool tools. Like he talks about his broad fork. The handles are just wood, and that helps it make it light, but it's sturdy. It's just the exact kind of broad fork that I want. Um They've got other really cool weeders and different things. And then he's got farmware that he designed that will keep you dry and keep you out there. I know with my, one of my big barriers was my garden shoes. So he's got boots and just great things that are stylish, comfortable, but most of all, they're going to keep you warm and dry when you're out in your garden doing all that hard work. So growers and company growers.co check it out get something for your favorite gardener definitely get a small scale farmers are changing the world t-shirt for your favorite farmer marker vendor do you belong to a csa i'll bet you want to get them a christmas present this year it doesn't have to be on time i know it might be late when you're hearing this but make sure you support growers.co um their stuff is super affordable the canadian exchange right now um, I just bought something for someone, um, a present for Kathy from the composters because I go to her laughter yoga with her and I think it said it was like $25 and then, it, but it only took $20 out of my bank account. So I, I probably shouldn't be talking about the Canadian exchange, but I know his things are affordable. I research broad forks and what they cost. I, you know, it, it's a great deal. You will get so much use out of that tool. Um, so support Growers and Co. Welcome to the Green Organic Garden. It is Friday, December 11th. It's still 2020 when we're talking, but it's probably the new year 2021 when you hear this. Um, and I have an amazing guest who's come back on the mic to tell us about her new journey. She's a rock star millennial, and I know she's going to drop tons of golden seeds. So here to talk to us again today is Kara Cray. Welcome, Kira. Hi, Jackie. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, thanks for coming back and sharing with us. Yeah. So tell listeners a little bit about yourself. It was episode 242 
when you were here. So that was probably like uh, August 2018. Yeah, it's been so a couple of years. A lot has changed. So tell us what's what's tell us a little bit about yourself and what's new. Sure. So my quick background, um, I grew up in the city and then for about 15 years, I lived in the country and learned how to garden and produce my own food. And I really fell in love with it. Um, it's one of my favorite things to do. Um, I've always been in marketing and business. So I have several degrees in business and an MBA and um, worked at a university for five years. Um, but really my passions are in gardening and farming and growing my own food and eating healthy and nutrition and all that. So um, over the last year, uh, I've had some pretty major life changes and I moved. So I actually haven't had my own garden this year. So I had to, um, you know, get my fix in and other ways. So I've always had this dream of going woofing, which is um, like where you basically work on a farm and you live there and then um, you work like 20 hours a week or so and they, they basically pay you with a place to stay and um, provide you with food and you learn all kinds of stuff about whatever they do on that farm specifically. So I decided to, I got laid off because of COVID um, and decided to go on an adventure and go woofing. So I traveled all around and worked on a couple different farms and now I'm back in Michigan. <laughs> well, I don't even know where to start. What was the first farm you went to? I'm so excited to hear this. Like literally yesterday I sent three messages because we signed up to be a woofing host, not knowing oh. COVID was coming and then mm -hmm. I, you know, I kind of wanted to see would anybody come. Like we were like, I, we were offering a camping situation because we don't have an extra space. Mm -hmm. And then I was surprised. We had like six people that wanted to come at least. Now, I don't know if because of COVID, it made it more people. But I, I took the listing down pretty early still because we just weren't, I just didn't, couldn't help you. I just didn't feel right about having people here during COVID. Yeah, it's and a lot. So, I was just on, so, but it gave me access to the woofing site. And yesterday I was on there. I sent emails to three people was like, will you do an interview with me? Because I'm so interested about your experience. I never did see your name there, but maybe you've taken your profile down or maybe there's like, you know, a pretty long list and like, it's there like is. The people had refret, like there's refreshing going on and stuff. So this is so yeah. exciting. So <laughs> I'll be quiet and tell listeners like about, I don't know, start with your first place or your last place or like, I want to know like how big were the farms and where were they and what'd you do? Yeah. So I applied to a ton of different farms and I actually only heard back from a, a few of them, which was a little bit discouraging because I was so excited to uh, work on these farms. And it, it takes a lot of time to do the research um, when you're looking at, okay, what type of farm do I want to work on? Do I want exactly. it to be livestock or vegetables or herbs or a lot of them, um, they want you to work on construction type projects, building fencing and, you know, uh, buildings for animals. And so I did a ton of research search and uh, favorited all these farms that I wanted to work on and then started applying which the application process takes a little bit too um, and I actually only heard back from a couple so uh, basically 
it, it was kind of wild how it all happened. I, I decided that I didn't really know where I wanted to go. And um, I didn't really have like, uh, like I, I left my house and I didn't want to commit to another home. So I was kind of like staying with other people for a little bit. And then I said, you know what, I'm kind of sick of Michigan in winter and I'm just gonna pack up my car and start driving. So I did. And I was, all I knew was I was headed for warmer weather. So I, I had it all set up in my car where I could just sleep in there and I had everything I needed. So I packed up and I left and I went um, down to uh, the coast. Basically, I started in North Carolina and worked my way down the coast. And this was in March of last year, so, or of this past year. So it was still kind of cold at that time. And I said, ah, I think I'm going to move to warmer weather. So I kind of migrated down to the South Carolina, Georgia, and then into Florida. And I met some really cool people along the way. Um, a, I was at a campground and uh, I, it was it's kind of a long story. I don't want to go into every detail, but <laughs> I'll try to make it, make it reasonably uh, not like too long <laughs> but uh yeah so I, I met someone in South Carolina who lived there and we kind of um you know kept in touch after that we hung out for the weekend or whatever and kept in touch after that and then um she invited me back to go camping with her and her family uh couple weeks later. So I said, why not? You know, I'm not doing anything else. I'm kind of wandering around and um, living in the woods and just, you know, traveling and, and seeing all kinds of cool sights. And so um, trying to, you know, stay away from people because it was all the, when the COVID scare just had started, you know? Yeah. And so I ended up going camping with her and um, telling her about wolfing. And at this point, I hadn't heard about, I hadn't heard back from any farms that were comfortable having people at that time because of COVID. So um, she actually had a friend who had a farm in South Carolina and called him up and said, hey, like, you know, do you need woofers right now? And he said, yes. So that's how I got connected with that farm. And I, I think I started that next week and they had a room set up in their barn, like a, a barn stall basically that had been converted into a bedroom. And then there was another stall that had been converted into a bathroom with a shower and toilet and sink and everything. So I had everything I needed there except for a kitchen. So I had um, a table out, out in the middle of the barn and just set up my own little kitchen with a camp stove and made a cutting board out of a, a plastic jug. <laughs> and that's where I stayed for a couple months. Nice. Uh because that's what I worry like I keep thinking the first thing we should focus on building is a bathroom yeah I would like to have like I dream about having farm dinners here and stuff and I just feel like a really nice bathroom would make a big difference yeah and this wasn't a nice bathroom I mean it had everything I needed there was a shower and a toilet but it was in a barn so I mean there was bugs and cobwebs and 
you know, everything. I actually had two frogs living in my shower. <laughs> Did you have like horses or cows or like animals in the barn? Nope. They actually used to, it used to be a horse barn. So it was kind of set up like that, but they basically just used it for storage for the farm, what they needed. You know, there was an ice machine in there and, you know, was it warm? But I, I mean, we're in the Rocky mountains. So that's my other concern (laughs) is that it's really cold here, but we did have like two couples that wanted to come with campers. Really? Okay. So yeah. It was warm in South Carolina in, um, I got there in March or the beginning of April. So it was warm enough where I could just have blankets on at night and be fine. Um, and then I was there for two months. So by the time the end of it came, it was, it was getting pretty toasty in the barn. So what did you do for two months? What were they growing? How big of a farm was it? Yeah. So it was a decent sized CSA. So they had uh, over a hundred members and they had like a small and a large share. It's called um, Low Country Farms and they grew pretty much a a pretty diverse, um, a pretty diverse offering of foods. And then we would harvest every week and uh, deliver them at that point uh, because of COVID. They just did deliveries. So they would just deliver a bag to each member and kind of go around on delivery day and drop everything off. But yeah, Swiss chard, kale, um, all kinds of herbs. Let's see, they had eggplant, which grows well in the South, and peppers, tomatoes, cucumbers. They did uh, pump or uh, not pumpkins, uh, potatoes green beans. They had a strawberry patch that they were just starting out to see how it would go. And that went really well. Um, And a whole bunch of herbs. And then they had a small greenhouse where they started plants. And they also had pomegranate trees, which was really interesting. What were those like? They're kind of bushy, bushy and tall, like like giant bushes (laughs) it's kind of hard to describe I wasn't there during the actual pomegranate season but um I could see them to start growing and then they also had fig trees which I guess grow well in the south but that was the same thing I was just there during um the beginning of the season so you could start to see the figs forming on the trees Um, but I didn't get to what was like a typical day like like Talk us through like getting up and where you started working first and yeah, so were there other woofers there? No, it was just me. And then there was a farm manager. Uh, Her name was Anna. So her and I spent a lot of time together. And then um, Skinny, who was the guy that owned the farm, his name nickname was Skinny. Um, He he was out there quite a bit, but a lot of times doing a lot of the you know, paperwork and planning and emails and all kinds of stuff. But yeah, a typical day. I mean, they were really super lenient with my hours. So, um, you know, some weeks I worked like 25 or 30, some weeks I worked like 15 or 20, depending on what I had going on. Um, and I would just kind of get up early. Usually I'm an early riser. So I was up by seven or eight and out there working and I'd work half a day. Uh, usually about half a day, maybe 
four, four to five days a week. And, um, we did, I did a little bit of everything, planting, weeding, um, setting up new, um, new fields and everything where you plow them and then lay fertilizer. And then they used black plastic for the rows and then planted in that to help keep the weeds down. So that was really neat to learn how to, how the equipment lays that stuff down. Cause I always wondered how the heck do you get that plastic down there? You know, that's gotta be a lot of work manually. And so I, I got to learn how that machine works and wait, they have a machine that lays the plastic down. How does that work? Yeah, it was basically just a tractor implement. And so it goes on the back of the tractor and then it has um, like tines on each side, I guess you would say, or like, like, you know, angled things that go into the ground. And then basically you just start the plastic and bury the end of it. And then um, the implement actually digs like a little trench on either side and then covers it up also and just kind of you just kind of drive down the row and it lays the plastic down and covers covers the edges right back up and then they have another implement that will go through and poke holes in the plastic for the plants however far you want them spaced out what about how big was this place how many acres do you know they had close to 15 acres and most of it was used um there actually was one field that they didn't use because it was they they call it the low country in that area of south carolina it's like in the charleston area and so it floods a lot because the ground is so low um so that field we didn't actually get to use when i was there we tried a couple times and every time we'd go out there would be you know knee high in mud so we didn't get to use that field but (laughs) most of the rest of it was good um you know usable farmland and then they also had chickens so there was a huge chicken tractor and area for that and ducks too a little pond Oh, fun. How many chickens? Like 10 or like 50 or? I think they had 200. Oh my goodness. I know. It was surprising to me. I'd go out there and look at them and it did not look like 200 chickens, but there was, there was a a lot out there. That was fun because I've never worked with chickens before. So I got to learn how to, how to work with chickens. And there's a lot of moody ones that, you know, like to peck you when they're trying to get the eggs. (laughs) I actually made a a time-lapse video of me um, doing chicken chores for the day. (laughs) It's quite comical. It's on my Instagram and my Facebook page. If you want to look at it, it's pretty, it's pretty funny. It's like high speed of me feeding the chickens and dancing around and being crazy. (laughs) What's the biggest challenge to taking care of all those chickens? How long does it take to collect the eggs? It must take like an hour just to collect the eggs. Yeah, I would say probably um, just to collect the eggs and then get them water would probably take close to an hour. And they had a little um, golf cart type thing. So that helps definitely because you didn't have to walk all the water back. But yeah, they they were a lot of fun. I like the ducks better, actually. They're, they would follow me around when I'm feeding the chickens. <laughs> and then do they keep them 
well you, you said there was a chicken tractor i mean they must keep them mm-hmm. out of the did they have like a certain area i guess they kept them in yeah there was a tractor and then it it just had like a huge netting off the sides of it that had like a frame underneath it and then a net that went over it so they had lots of room to run around in there oh, and then they would move it you know with the tractor month. is how they moved it yep mm-hmm. move uh, it around <laughs> well what's something that grew well that you were except or wait do you like so then did you go to another woofing farm um i spent a couple months down there and then uh i came back to michigan and um then i went up to the up for a couple well like a month or so and just did like some exploring up there and then i came back to the lower peninsula and i started working on another farm which i'm still working at now um, and they are another CSA, but it's completely different because it's a whole different climate. And um, they do all year round CSA, which has been really interesting to learn about because they have three large greenhouses that they grow in all winter long. And so I've just been fascinated with you know, how they do that and the whole process behind winter gardening, because living in Michigan my whole life, it's like, how do you grow your own food all year round? It's, it, I like to have fresh produce, you know, all year. And I never really understood how to do that. So this woofing experience has been really so awesome. So what are I'm some not- tips? Because I just showed Mike a picture yesterday and I was like, how come I don't have lettuce growing in a in a high tunnel? Because we the high tunnel is right? sitting out there right now, and there's nothing in it. How do like do they have to have heat and stuff? So they don't have heat at this farm actually, which was really surprising to me because you know it gets really cold here. I think we have a really similar climate as you guys do, which is kind yeah, of why I, I actually so started listening in the first place to your show because I wanted to learn more about you know gardening in. Uh, the winter and and this client the same climate but yeah they don't have heat Um, they have double plastic over the top of the greenhouse and then they put insulation around the bottom um, by the ground they put it up a couple feet from the ground and then they have a blower that blows air in between the two uh, layers of plastic on the top and that creates enough insulation where it keeps the ground from freezing and then they can have greens all year. And of course, you know, they, some things aren't going to grow in the winter, tomatoes and peppers and stuff like that, but they still have salad mix and kale and onions and stuff like that all year round. Well, that's what I'm really craving these days, especially I went and splurged on a box of salad the other day and it was so soggy and I was like, oh that's the most disappointing but yeah it's amazing to see what these greens do I mean they grow a lot slower and they're a lot smaller during the winter but the nutrients is still there and you know it's it's warm enough in those greenhouses where you can comfortably work without gloves on in the middle of winter which is pretty cool (laughs) that is cool 
so uh, what didn't go the way maybe did you was there a project you worked on that you thought was going to go one way and didn't go the way you thought it would well we the first thing that comes to mind i guess is when we went to cover the last greenhouse um, they had to recover one this year and when we went to cover it it was definitely cold that day we were trying to wait for a warm day or a decent day at least to cover it the where it's not windy um, because these greenhouses are huge I don't know how long they are but probably at least 100 feet and <clears throat> so we you know you had to plan ahead for lots of people to help so we planned on uh, this day it was like a, maybe a month or so ago and of course it was you know a little bit windy and really cold and so we were all kind of standing out there forever trying to get this plastic over the top and uh, you know, it ended up, we got it, we got it done, but it definitely wasn't the most pleasurable experience that I'm not really a big person for the cold, which is kind of why I, um, you know, lean towards the Southern experience, I guess, <laughs> why I went to South Carolina and I'm actually going back there in uh, a few weeks. I've got a, a uh, place that I'm renting. A friend of mine is subleasing her apartment for a couple months, so I'm going to go down there and probably work on the farm again and hopefully connect with a couple new farms down there too. But yeah, that that was not the most enjoyable experience, but hey, it's done and Ed is happy. He, he names his greenhouses, so um, that greenhouse's name is Ed's. <laughs> What like is there something you would do like if you were gonna woof again and do that again? Is there something you would do differently, or what do you think? It, like, would you give advice to people that are gonna get into woofing? Or yeah, I mean, I definitely my advice to people to get into woofing would be to plan ahead. Um, it's like you your experience is a perfect example as the host you get a ton of people wanting to come to the farm and um, a lot of farms don't respond at all. So don't get your hopes up. Like if you find one that you're really super excited about, just try contacting them first and say, Hey, I'm interested in woofing rather than going through the whole application process because a lot of them won't even get back to you, um, which is kind of discouraging. But I've heard that uh, you should just kind of go with the flow with that. and um, and uh, just wait for people to get back to you. But um, yeah, this this one I'm excited about. Um, there's there's a farm on an island that I can't remember exactly what they do, but it, I remember it sounded really interesting to me. And it was a day day woofing, so that you don't actually stay on the farm. That was a little bit of a different experience. I never did that because I always needed a place to stay too. Um, but this time, when I go down in January, I actually have a place to stay already. So I'm just going to focus on woofing during the day and learning more. Um, but the farm I was working at in um, Charleston back in April and May, I actually was going to start um, a microgreens area for their farm. And I ended up leaving before I could do that. But I was really excited to help them get that going. So, I mean, I would say 
definitely do your research on the people too. You want to make sure like it's a, you're going to be a good fit with the family or the person or whoever you're staying with because these people were awesome. They basically said, Hey, if there's anything you're interested in trying or, or doing, go ahead. Like we have all this stuff here. We can get seed. And so I was really pretty excited about getting the microgreen started. And I actually plan on talking to them about that when I go back in January. So in the farm I'm working at right now, does microgreens so I'm learning about how they do their microgreens so then maybe I can bring that knowledge to um, the lowland farms down in Charleston when I go. How about the great microgreen myth I'm gonna call it because I feel like there's <laughs> all these youtubers out there they're like you can make $25,000 a year selling microgreens you know and like I don't think it's as easy as they make it sound. And I no. don't think you can do that anywhere. And, you know, I think you could do it maybe some places, but I think mm -hmm. you might have to work 24 seven to make it happen. And just, but, but what is being productive about their microgreen? Like, what are some tips that you've learned? Yeah. So they have a pretty cool process. Um, they do everything inside. So that's unique to their farm. I think a lot of people will grow outside, but because they are in such a cold climate, it's just easier to control the climate for microgreens in in an in indoor setting. Um, so they have trays set up uh, underneath lights, and then they get some natural light from the windows and doors that come in, but mostly it's under like fluorescent lighting. And um, they they prepare the trays and then just sprinkle the seeds on and then they cover them. They actually use like seed bags, like bird seed bags, because they're a nice heavy plastic and keep the moisture in for the seeds to sprout better. And then once they're sprouted, then they put them on trays underneath the lights and it depends on what uh, type of seed it is, how long it will take to sprout and become, you know, where, where you want to cut it. But yeah, it's definitely pretty labor intensive. Um, but it's worth it. I think the, the nutrients in them is so condensed and I love just grabbing a handful out of a bag and just eating them. And you can use any, pretty much any seed, not any seed, but there, <laughs> there's a ton of different seeds that you can use that produce really nice tasty little sprouts i know my stepdaughter started like she was going to do a business a couple of years ago and like mm -hmm. she was like here you can take this tray home because we can't sell them because they're not like high enough quality and so it sat on my shelf and it was just so cool to constantly be able to go over and just like i i really like the sunflower seed sprout ones but she had like peas uh -huh. some weird things that happened to her like her peas burnt they like completely turned yellow she had one tray like mm. that and then what were some of the there like some of the challenges were they were like always sunflower seed shells getting into mm -hmm. when she was like harvesting them and trying to put them into bags whereas like when i and like i told her i'm like i will buy that tray from you and so she comes out she plants the tray on my kitchen table for me we put it under the light i'm telling you it is a skill i do not have or i could not master <laughs> because they didn't grow they molded they like she gave me two uh -huh. trays one of peas and one it is not an easy thing to do and i just want to buy 
the tray. Like I would literally buy a tray once a month from somebody that uh-huh. I could just harvest. Because like you said, they are great and they go on so much. And at this time of the mm-hmm. year, especially, but I can't seem to bring myself to pay like the fortune for the little baggies in the store. <laughs> right. Exactly. They are expensive. Yeah. They're, but once you learn how to grow them and get a process going, they're, they're not too bad, especially if they're in your home and you can just kind of tend to them whenever, then it's pretty easy, but they do take up a little bit of space you know, the big old trays. Of and do them, they but... have like a rotation in? So there's always new tray mm-hmm. coming up. Yep. Yep. They plant their seeds and then put them under the trays or put them in the trays and then put them under the, the plastic. And then while those are getting ready, they've got, you know, different stages that are underneath the lights. And like last week, it doesn't always work out perfectly. Like last week, um, the, they didn't grow as well as they usually do for some reason. And so they just didn't have a microgreens harvest last week, which bummed me out because I'm always looking forward to that. I, I eat a like microgreens salad basically uh, instead of lettuce. A lot of the time I'll just have microgreens and toss a bunch of veggies in there. And Well, I think especially this year, like I can't even like, I don't want to have anything to do with lettuce that comes in the store. That's not like, it's sad to say, but yeah. not pre-wrapped in plastic. I mean, mm-hmm. I am in a very high, like, we don't believe in masks. I'm like, you're putting the produce out. Don't you think you should have a mask on? No. Mm-hmm. Area. Yeah. So um, it's like, I'm like, you know, hopeful at least that somewhere where they're processing it, where I'm at, or I just don't eat it. I'm like, I'm just not eating lettuce right now. So that's why I looked at my yeah. like, how is it I don't have lettuce growing somewhere? Um, right yeah it's been a tough year for but it's been a good year for gardeners i mean i think for you know local farmers and things yeah it's been really good for the farm i'm working on they are they are their i think their goal was to have 60 members with their csa and they have over 100 right now because they don't want to turn anybody away so they just keep producing more and growing the farm and they're, I mean, they're just booming right now. And it's really nice to see the local community supporting local farmers and understanding that, you know, this is good food and nutrient dense food. And they, the farm I'm working at right now does a really great job on what they do. They're so particular. I mean, you can go in those greenhouses at any moment and they look pristine. There's hardly any weeds. The plants look beautiful. There's nothing, you know, no plants that are suffering and they're all organic. They don't use any pesticides or any type of sprays or any, anything. We just pick bugs off when we see them and the soil is so healthy that you barely ever see any plant damage. So what are they doing to keep their soil healthy? How big is this place that you're on now? This place, let's see, I think the farm itself has like 40 some acres, but they probably farm on maybe seven or eight acres of fields and greenhouses and barns. And they actually, we just planted um, an elderberry orchard too. So I'm really excited to see how that goes. There's probably 80 trees, I think, in the orchard. Nice. I did an interview with a woman who wrote a book about elderberries this fall. Susanna, I want to say Shermark. 
um, that had all sorts of like, I mean, she did so much research. She is a scientist by heart and, in, you know, deep down in her and uh, just so much research about the amazing properties of elderberries and like things you can do with the flowers and things you can do with the um, berries mm-hmm. themselves and just uh, tons of information about growing them. So that's excellent because I think they're really healthy for you. Yeah. So, but back to like, what do you, what are they doing? Are they growing cover crops? Like, are they doing no-till? Are they adding compost? Like, how are they making their soil so healthy? Yeah, they do all of that. It's, it's an amazing system they have going there. Um, we have a local um, farm that produces a lot of really good soil here. So it's called Dairy Dew. And so they use that sometimes, but then they also have their own compost piles and um, yeah, they, they do no-till for the most part. Their ground is pretty hard where they're at. There's a lot of clay. So a lot of times working in the ground is not so easy. So we do use, you know, hand tools and whatnot and, and work up the ground in the greenhouses, but they don't ever till with tractors or anything like that. Unless, well, we did a little bit of that when we planted the orchard because we had to get the, get the ground ready. But for the most part, they have um, a concoction of nutrients and they know a lot about soil health. And so they've just built up the soil so well there that everything just, I mean, you can tell by just tasting the vegetables, everything tastes differently. And they have. I was going to ask you about that. Do they use a refractometer to measure their bricks? Like, do they know the nutrient density of their actual vegetables and stuff? Or is it just basically taste that you. You know, I'm not sure, but I do know that they do a lot of work testing the soil. Um, our local um, university extension office does a really great job testing the soil. So they do soil tests quite often. And then they also um, have, they ro- rotate their fields a lot. So right now there's a couple fields that just have cover crops in them. But the coolest thing about that is they use their cover crops as forage grains. So they have this mix called the forager mix. And so I did harvest one week. I did harvest on the forager mix. And it's basically you're just wandering around a field of cover crops and harvesting all the best looking greens for salad mix that then goes to the CSA members. Hmm. And do they have like permanent beds like and permanent walkways or do they like is it a big field that they dig up and make like deep rows in yeah they they mostly have rows so they don't have any infrastructure really there um as far as like wood or any type of raised beds or anything but um they do have fencing around the entire farm because we have a lot of deer so they have fencing like way away from the garden beds um and then they have just long rows and in the in the aisles most of the time it's just natural so they let the the grass grow up a little bit and um you know maintain the weeds in the aisles and then in the greenhouses the aisles are are very skinny probably two feet or less just enough to walk down I mean when you're sitting in the aisle there's a plant like right next to each 
of your legs, you know, like when you're sitting in the aisle weeding or whatever, kneeling or something, there's just enough space. So, but basically you're walking on the aisles so much on everything that um, it keeps the weeds down enough. Every once in a while, you got to go through and pull the ones that are seeding, but um, they like to keep it natural, as, as natural as possible there. I like that. I heard a woman on Jesse Frost's uh, No-Till Market Farmer podcast talking about um, living pathways. And I, I just love that idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really works well. And I haven't worked there over the summer, so I'm not sure um, during the summer. I mean, for me personally, I used to like mow the aisles sometimes um, just to keep everything down enough so the weeds weren't seeding. And I imagine maybe they do something like that too, but. Yep. Um, that's what she said. She was like, it's the big non-negotiable on our farm is every Thursday morning we mow the aisles in between the rows mm -hmm. and they're like, you know, they're uniform size. And mm -hmm. She said she didn't care if it was grass or clover or whatever, mm -hmm. but they also had, you know, super healthy soil in the beds mm -hmm. and the permanent roads and just, um, it kind of like she had it measured out so that the width of the lawnmower was the exact width of like, you know, the pathway. Yeah. And, um, but that sounds like, that sounds really cool. Yeah. It's, I think it's easier and more cost effective even than using wood chips. Um, you know, sometimes wood chips are nice because you just don't have to weed as much and you don't have to deal with the big weeds, but it's also more expensive. And then when you do have to weed, you kind of, or if you get a rain that washes things away, then you've got to redo the mulch all the time. I've tried everything. I tried newspaper one year and that worked for a little while. Like you lay down newspaper in the aisle and just kind of sprinkle it, bury the edges and sprinkle it with dirt. But uh, that didn't, it dissolved quick enough that the weeds started growing up through it or I'd walk over it and there'd be a hole in it or something. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Well, what else do you want to tell us about woofing or do you want to get to the root of things or? I mean it's a it's a lot of fun it's a good opportunity to learn more about gardening and a lot of the families cook together so it's a really neat experience to learn about different cultures i mean honestly when i started looking into woofing my goal was to woof overseas um, i wanted to travel to europe and i wanted to do some woofing over there but then when covid hit it was just too much and so I decided to stay in the U.S., which actually was probably one of the best decisions I've made because that's where I live. And I want to I wanna learn more about where I live and where I'm going to be and the communities in my area. And I actually fell in love with Charleston when I was down there. So I'm going back for a couple months in um, January and hoping to move there in the next couple years. So I'm, I'm staking the place out and learning more about the town, make sure that's somewhere I'd like to live. And so, I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can use woofing. Maybe it's just, um, you know, a break from life. Maybe you're working remotely right now because of COVID and you want to challenge yourself a little bit and give yourself a little extra work. Um, go work on a farm part-time. It's it's really an amazing experience. You meet some really cool people along the way too. So what are your living situations now? You're not living in a barn at this new place, right? 
no no I'm actually living with a friend right now um in between whatever I'm doing <laughs> and then you just so then they just like are they paying you cash then or like you trade for food you get your CSA share for free like if you're not if they're not giving you room and board yeah so the um the farm I'm working at right now I'm basically working for my share so I work like four hours a week and I get um a full CSA share so it works out perfect for me because I love the produce and I'm unemployed right now because of COVID. So um, I get food and I, I would do it even if I didn't get free things <laughs> because I just love it. And I love, I value the knowledge so much. Everything that I'm learning about um, right now of how to grow things in the winter is, is so neat. Um, but yeah, I work, for, I work for my share. And then when I go back down to Charleston, because I'll already have a place to live, um, I'm just going to look for some place that pr provides me with produce. And um, the farm I was working at before, they said if I wanted to work extra, I could work um, for, for cash. So I may do that too. I'm not sure yet. I, I've been calling myself a vagabond for the last year or so because I've just been traveling around and um, I bought a tiny camper so I have everything I need in my little camper and I've learned how to find places to stay in the woods um, legally <laughs> so that's been been really fun you know I think that's so important like I told my stepdaughters and my husband frequently like right before we met i had spent a year uh i like walked into my friend's apartment in missoula and this girl was there and she's like i'm getting on a bus to go to santa fe i have this job at this bed and breakfast in taos and i'm like you're taking a bus and she's like yeah and i was like well i'll drive you if you give me the 60 dollars in bus fare and she's like okay now i did not know she didn't drive <laughs> and i'm like hey do you want to drive you know we're like you know eight hours out or something she's like and and she's like well i don't drive and i'm like okay <laughs> but <laughs> I, I treasure that year so i spent like three months in mm -hmm. santa fe and just camping out what i loved about santa fe was they had um like a, a recreation facility a swimming pool and stuff that has showers that you could use for two dollars i think to, nice. to get a day pass to go to this like um it, I just think those places are so important. And there were it, like, it was extra to do other things, you know, and they had like a mm -hmm. sauna and a weight room and whatever, but it was just so nice to be able to get a clean shower every day. And then I found a camping yeah. spot, a job on the mountain. I would take my dog hiking because my dog was living in my car in my tent. And when I was at work during the day for eight hours, so I would like make sure I went hiking every day. So my dog got mm -hmm. exercise and I just treasure that time on my own. Like, I feel like it's made me a more confident person throughout my life that I knew that I had that year where, which really was only a season, but anyway. Definitely. Uh, it's huge. I think it's so good for you that you're doing all this. And who knows, someday you might make it over to Europe. Like I went to Paris in 2016 and I never thought I was really ever going to go there in my life. And I did it. So I am confident that nice. everybody can do it <laughs> yeah 
Um, yeah, that time by yourself though is is huge, and I mean, it was at a point in my life where I was in a just a huge transition. So it was. And what a great just, way to make your most of COVID. Exactly, and other people are saying, you know, oh, you gotta stay home. It was when the stay home order was. And I said, well, my home is the woods right now. And so I'll just stay in the woods. And that's literally what I did. I just stayed in the woods and I, I did a lot of hiking and a lot of, um, you know, wandering around and journaling and just enjoying nature. And I mean, I, I, it was a while before I started posting things on social media because I was worried, you know, that people, because we were in a lockdown, basically, I was worried that people would really judge me, you know, and then I decided, you know what, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm staying away from yeah, people like I, everybody I think, else is. I, there were some of those memes that were like, why is it okay to go to Walmart? <laughs> it's not okay to go to a national park. And that didn't make right. any sense to me either. I was like, this is the time yeah. that people should go to the parks and go, you know, they're saying get outdoors exactly. and go. Like, I didn't understand why camping was closed. And exactly. Just it like, I could not challenge. figure out who was going to clean the bathroom in between people. <laughs> but I mean, really, like, you know, right. I don't know. Um, it was a huge challenge for me because when I, when I left, everything was closed. And so trying to find a shower or something like that was, was definitely, definitely a challenge during that time. It's a lot easier. But when you know, I have showered on, a lot of my life out of a five gallon bucket. Like the shower exactly. is not necessarily <laughs> the hard part. It's the other. It's that yeah. You have to be comfortable with, you know, digging a hole and and getting in touch with nature. <laughs> I showered in lakes and, you know, with alligators and all kinds of crazy oh things. Goodness. And Wow. Yep. Just out in the middle of the woods, you find you make, make do with what you have. And it was, it was really encouraging just to like have nothing. Basically I had everything I needed yet. I had basically hardly anything. And I hardly ever had to go to the store. I didn't keep cold food. So that was a little bit of a challenge because I was always trying to find healthy foods that I could eat that um, were shelf stable. So I ate a lot of random things and baby food actually became one of my main um, sources of food because it's, it's sealed, you know, it's shelf stable, but it actually doesn't have preservatives or or anything in it most of the time it's literally just the ingredients are literally just the fruit or vegetable and water and sometimes absorbic acid vitamin c or something like that but most of the time it's just the fruit or vegetable and that's it so i i pretty much survived on baby food and dried fruits <laughs> Wow. Before we get to the root of things, we're going to thank our sponsors and affiliate links. Hey, everyone, make sure you join us for the Homestead Open House Virtual Summit. It's only $9. Homesteading Simplified, March 14th to the 16th with live question and answer on the 17th. 20 plus experts to help you find the confidence you need to make homesteading work. Maybe you've had some land. You just got your first property. You go outside and it seems like there's so many things to do. Where do you start? Do you plant seeds, compost pile, get your chickens, pull your weeds, plant fruit trees, 
build a barn, sheep, cows, the list goes on. How do you make a decision? How about making a list to do, when to do it, and how to do it? They have gathered experts in the world of homesteading together from all over the world to give you the best tips. Take a tour of homesteads, learn from them, take confidence in your own abundant homestead. Super easy to get in. Access for only $9. Make sure you click on my affiliate link so I get a little tiny chunk of that. Um, and join us March 14th through 16th. Hope to see you there. And now let's get to the root of things. Oh. Uh, well, Kara, if we were going to get to the root of things, do you have a least favorite activity to do in the garden that you got to kind of force yourself to get out there and do? A least favorite. Well, I actually have a bad shoulder. So some of the um, movements are really hard for me. Like I, I was using a Cobra the other day and it, you use a lot of shoulder action. And I was down for a couple of days after that because I don't know, some muscular stuff in my shoulder. So that's, that would probably be my least favorite is doing things that, um, bother my shoulder but usually i can find a way around it so on the flip side what's your favorite activity to do in the garden favorite you know it's funny because most people hate weeding but i actually really like it because i feel like you're you're just there and you're helping the plants out and you're you're getting rid of the bad things that are in your way in life and I get in the zone like totally in the zone I'll be sitting there listening to podcasts or something like that and weeding and you don't have to think about anything really I mean you kind of have to think about is this a weed is this not a weed but you know other than that you get in the zone and you can just go just go down the row and I think of some of my best ideas when I'm weeding did I see you using like a a circular oh that was a plow that thing was yeah. really cool on your facebook page yeah i love that thing it, what it, is that it's easy to describe it for it's listeners. basically it's basically just like a stirrup hoe um with like a wheel attached to it so the wheels on the front and then the little like stirrup hoe uh contraption is right behind the wheel and then there's handlebars at the height where you would stand behind it, there's handlebars, and then you kind of just lean into it, and it pushes the hoe down into the ground, and then you just walk forward, and the wheel, the wheel keeps you at the right height, basically, um, and keeps you level, and allows you to put your body's pressure into it, so that you can dig underneath the dirt, and that's how I usually get the, the sides of the rows. Um, I'll weed in between the plants and then between the actual aisle and the plants, I'll get that last bit where you can walk straight forward. That's, I love it because it's just narrow enough. It's, I don't know, probably five, six inches wide, the actual hoe part. So it's narrow enough where you can actually just get right in there um, and not have to use a... Um, cultivator or anything like that so basically like a stirrup hoe with a wheel on it <laughs> it looks really fun yeah uh, and it's just cool looking so i'm like this this thing is cool this is definitely social media worthy so 
and it's it seems like it's pretty effective too huh like it, it is it yeah makes the work go faster mm -hmm. it's definitely faster than hand weeding at all it's it's you know labor intensive but i enjoy that stuff because i feel like um especially when i was working uh i was on the computer all day long so anything to get out there and get my body moving and use my muscles and exercise is is good oh man am i missing that i didn't teach in the classroom this year i've just been working for a variety of podcasters on my computer from home and like oh yeah oh i you know that's the thing i love about teaching is you get tons of exercise you're always moving yes uh-huh Okay, Kara, I have another interview starting soon. So let's, uh, I'm going to try to make sure we get through these questions. So what's the best gardening <laughs> advice you've ever received? Best gardening advice. Hmm. I think probably the best gardening advice is to worry about the health of your soil or work on the health of your soil rather. Just um, like I was talking about with, with the CSA I'm working on right now, Ward Vegetables, um, they really focus on their soil health and that creates an environment where pests don't really bother your plants. Cool, because that's a question I get a lot. And I feel like I've been hearing that from a lot of people too. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of people are like, what do I do about pests? And then mm -hmm. a lot of people lately have been talking about the healthy soil just kind of deals with a lot of that. Yeah, uh, it's a little more work, but it's worth it. Well, I don't know if it's more work necessarily, but maybe it's more just work on the front end. Yes, it exactly. It might be more work altogether. Mm -hmm. uh, how about a favorite tool? Is that your favorite tool that um, little wheelie thing or what's your favorite yeah thing? I would definitely say that because you can just lean right into it and it does the work for you I do, I'm not a big motors person I don't like engines I don't like things that take oil and gasoline and um, that you have to repair like you know I don't I don't know how to work on that kind of stuff so I stay away from it I just use my body and, and hand tools are definitely my favorite things mm. How about a favorite recipe? What do you like to eat from the garden? Recipe? Well, in the world of greens during the winter, I get super obsessed with like pestos. And you can make anything or uh, you can make a pesto from just about anything, uh, any type of greens and just add olive oil and onions and garlic. And usually I add some kind of nuts, usually walnuts or nuts usually walnuts because i'm a big walnut fan um just blend it all together and eat it basically for anything salad dressing sometimes i'll just eat it um put it on eggs That's my mom was my asking favorite. me the other day or talking about how good coq10 is for you and walnuts are really mm -hmm. high natural source of coq10 how about a favorite internet resource? Where do you find yourself surfing on the web? Or are you just internet. off the web while you're traveling? Well, actually, lately I've been really interested in permaculture. And I've been finding a lot of really cool resources. There's not one really in particular. But um, if you just search permaculture, 
you can find some really cool resources on how to like use the land around you and, and create a whole living space that's like comprehensive that where, you know, you have this planted with this and using, using the compost and um, they have like, you know, a big pile of brush at the farm that they're about to burn and then use the ashes for some of the soil health. And so I guess um, that I would say permaculture, the word permaculture and, and the resources that come along with it are really, I think, an interesting thing that not a lot of people talk about. And there's like, there's not a whole lot of, um, you know, formal education based around permaculture but it's actually, I think, growing, a growing industry and something that, that we should be looking at a little more. Absolutely. I have learned so much. I didn't even know what permaculture was when I started my podcast, but um, yeah, the more I learn about it, the more it just seems like there's so many great things to it. And especially, yeah. like you said, that it's, it's a lot about, you know, looking at the whole ecosystem as a whole. Yes. Yeah. How about a favorite reading material? Do you have a book you can recommend? Um, I always go back to my organic gardening book. And it's not really a reading material. It's more of like a, a resource and encyclopedia for growing organically. And I'm sure you can find this information all over the web or, or whatever. But having it in one book has been really one of my favorite things. I think it's the same book I recommended last time, but it's seriously my go-to book all the That's time. Okay. Whenever I'm wondering about something, um, I, uh, I go back to that book every time. It has so much good information in it about, um, you know, each plant and what it needs, what type of soil it likes and um, how to fertilize it, how much water it needs, um, companion planting, uh, common pest problems and how to how to remedy that so that's definitely my favorite book I think it's called organic gardening like, like Rodale's encyclopedia of organic gardening something like that yeah I think it's published by a different company but it's it's probably similar to that definitely the same idea hmm. I'll have to go back and look and see what you put last time uh all right, well, here's my final question, Kara. If there's one change you'd like to see to create a greener world, what would it be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about or a project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most crucial issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? Oh, gosh, there's so many things. <laughs> um, I would say probably the biggest thing, I think because... People like to know that they're making a difference and feel like they're making a difference. So I would probably focus more on a local scale and I would just say get involved in local farming and agriculture and support your local people. Even if you don't want to have a farm yourself or grow things yourself, like I buy stuff from local farmers all the time and I talk to them and I appreciate them. Um, I just bought four turkeys for Thanksgiving from a local farmer and I just bought a quarter beef from uh, another farmer that's associated with the farm I'm working at. Um, but I would just say like, you know, the most important thing I think people can do is 
to support support that system. If you're going to the store and you're buying produce from there, you're supporting big agriculture. And um, I don't think that's where the answers lie. I mean, that's it's good for a lot of things and it's good to have that available. But I think it's really important to, to be self-sustaining and know how to grow your own sources and really create a community that can you know be supportive it's kind of like my little living in the woods thing like you know if I can live in the woods and forage and you know survive off the land that's that's a pretty valuable valuable tool I would say you know with COVID and and you know who knows what will happen in the world grow your own food and and support those who do that for you come together Oh, Kira, this is why I love you millennials. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing with us today. Do you have a way if listeners, they can follow you on Instagram? Yeah, yeah. I have an Instagram. It's, it's Kara Marie Wild and Free. Oh, I like that. Thanks. Like W-I-L-D-A-N-D free and yep. or just the, yep. okay. I'll spell that. Cool. Kara, thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. Stay safe, be healthy, have a great holiday. Thank you to you too, Jackie. Okay. Listeners, have you heard my most recent interview with J.M. Fortier? Did you know that he started an awesome new venture called Growers and Company, where they have a magazine that's printed that comes out twice a year that highlights the amazing farmers that he's taught personally so you're going to learn from people who are practice putting his practices into place on their farms if you want to be a better farmer you definitely want to subscribe to this magazine that's going to be like a coffee table item on your shelf and then the other thing part of growers and company is there he's created tools that he uses on his farm that he's like studied you know he got to travel all around the world when he wrote his book the market gardener if you don't have that you absolutely have to get a copy of it but he's he's he got to go travel to all these farms and then he would look at tools that they had in the hardware stores or using in these other farms brought them back to his farm you know talked to a developer came out with some really cool tools like he talks about his broad fork the handles are just wood and that helps it make it light but it's sturdy it's just the exact kind of broad fork that i want um they've got other really cool weeders and different things and then he's got farmware that he designed that will keep you dry and keep you out there i know with my one of my big barriers was my garden shoes so he's got boots and just great things that are stylish comfortable but most of all they're going to keep you warm and dry when you're out in your garden doing all that hard work so growers and company growers.co check it out get something for your favorite gardener definitely get a small scale farmers are changing the world t-shirt for your favorite farmer marker vendor do you belong to a csa I bet you want to get them a Christmas present this year. It doesn't have to be on time. I know it might be late when you're hearing this, but make sure you support growers.co. Um, their stuff is super affordable. The Canadian exchange right now. Um, I just bought something for someone, um, a present for Kathy from the composters because 
I go to her laughter yoga with her. And I think it said it was like $25 and then, it, but it only took $20 out of my bank account. So I, I probably shouldn't be talking about the Canadian exchange, but I know his things are affordable. I research broad forks and what they cost. I, you know, it, it's a great deal. You will get so much use out of that tool. Um, so support growers and co. Join Patty Armbruster and I for Grow Live on YouTube Live Saturday mornings coming to you in 2021. We'll be answering your questions. We'll be um, laughing and sharing information that you want to know because they're going to be answers to your questions on YouTube Live Saturday mornings, 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Montana Standard Time, and 8 a.m. Pacific. Send us your questions. You can submit them at the organicgardenerpodcast.com forward slash patty. You can email me at orgpodcast at gmail.com. You can send them a Mike's Green Garden at gmail.com. Ask Patty Live. Grow Live with Jackie and Patty. We'll be answering your questions. What do you need to know to grow healthy food in your garden? Do you know someone who would benefit from the Organic Gardener podcast? If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you'd share the Organic Gardener podcast with a friend. Thanks again for listening and remember, grow local.